the, uh, the gift or one of the gifts we have at Christmas is that the story is told through different people's eyes. You may not, because you've heard it so often, told, realize that at least four different people are telling the story, and the Christmas narrative itself has a lot from differing perspectives. Last week, uh, Laura and I talked, well, Laura primarily talked, which is always a good thing, and Laura told the story of the virgin birth through the eyes of Mary. And that is how Luke uses the framework of his gospel, his story, to talk about the birth of Jesus. Uh, Another point of view comes from the gospel of Matthew, which tells the same story but through the eyes of the man. What was it like to him? What was it like for Joseph? And while it's the same story, the only real point of commonality in the words is that the angel comes and speaks to both, and the angel says the same thing at one point to both, don't be afraid. So before we jumped into it, I, I wanted to talk about what it's like to be afraid at Christmas, because back then it was a very fearful time. They were trapped between superpowers, they were semi-slaves, they had limited religious freedom, they were afraid. In the midst of the richest country in the history of the planet, we are interlocked with a world at war where the gap between the rich and the poor grows and protests of every kind make us at least uneasy and many times afraid. So before we get to our text, Advent is a time, these weeks before Christmas are a time where, as the song says, the hopes and fears of all the years meet. Fear is among us, and fear has a cousin. Fear's cousin is named anger. Anger and fear go right together. Fearful people are angry people very often. And that anger often blasts into sight, whether it's On the plains of Syria with rockets or a gridlocked Congress that yells at each other all night or in Ferguson or protests of all kinds, fear and anger go together. But it often gets glossed over. It often seems to hide at Christmas time. But but it doesn't go away. Last weekend here during the services, three different people, two men and a woman, came up and asked me if I would pray for them this week because each of them had to fire somebody before the first of the year. One person had to let a whole department go before the first of the year. She goes, how do I do that? Thursday, I'm uh, coming back, and a friend of mine for years is here at the church because he got laid off like that unexpectedly. And fear raises its head. So the story that you hear in the Gospels is not a fairy tale. It's about fear coming to a place like that little girl experienced when she had to go and have her mom find out that she was pregnant. Fear is rooted in our lives. 
And, and while this is a story about a birth, it's important for me, every time I preach, to remember over 30%, maybe between 30 and 40% of us who sit here are single. Single again, single by choice, some not by choice. And we should remember that when we're talking about what looks like the perfect little family. But the story about surprise pregnancies hits especially close for those of you out there who would pray for that kind of a surprise. Christmas is hard. One of my, uh, one of my friends this week said, you know, I feel like every time my daughter looks at her husband, somebody's pregnant. And that is so often not the case. And when everybody else seems like they can get pregnant, you and your desires, it gets harder. So before we jump into the text, I want to say that we would like to be sensitive to that. We're, we're gathering together a small group of people, maybe not so small, who are struggling with getting pregnant. And... Uh, uh, would like it not to eat into their relationships or their joy of life, but it's a battle. And so if you're one of those folks, or if you love one of those folks who is struggling with infertility, I'd ask you this week to just call the church or talk to one of the pastors, and we'll tell you where and when this very private group is going to meet to support each other and offer each other resources in this Christmas season. I think that's enough said. Let's, let's pray. Lord, the Apostle Paul once prayed that you would open the eyes of our heart so that we would see around us this world, not just with our head, not just with our fears, but with your heart. Open the eyes of our heart to be open to the hopes and the fears and the losses of our lives, so that this story about a baby is more than a Hallmark card that we give each other. Bless us because you love us. Amen. Matthew says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph was faithful to the law, and yet he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he planned to divorce her quietly. But as he considered, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. As I listened to the story of Matthew this month, what struck me, uh, just in a fresh way, were the names, all the names being bandied uh, about. 
Joseph, the son of David. Um, Names are important. It's important to call each other by names. I say that with a smile on my face because the joke around the church is that John Crosby cannot remember his own name, much less your name. And and I'm sorry, I struggle, but not if I call you Bubba, but when I call you Sweet Pea, it's not because I, I want to know your name. I just, I struggle with, with, with names, and I know that names are important. So I thought I'd stop just for a second in this story about names, because the names we give our children mark them for their whole lives, right? John Francis Xavier Crosby the Fourth. Really? What were they thinking? As a matter of fact, what? <laughs> and we look at our culture with names, and uh, you're just like, you're going to call him what? Celebrities are especially weird. Girls have names like Ocean, Apple. Would you like to be the first one in kindergarten when they say your names to say, my name is Beetle, and I'm a five-year-old girl? Beetle, really? But as bad as it is for the girls, it seems like the guys take it to another level. Uh, one of my own heroes, Frank Zappa, uh, named his uh, first two kids Moon Unit Number One and Moon Unit Number Two. You remember that? Then he thought he'd change pace when he had a third little girl and called her Dweezil. So, <laughs> really, and John Cougar Mellencamp said, "That's awful." And his son said, "Dad, you called me Speck Wild Horse." Speck Wild Horse, the the winner or loser in the I've got to stand up and say my name, though, may be Nicolas Cage's son, who is Kal-El Cage. Kal-El, anybody remember? If you are a Superman comics fan, you know that Kal-El is the childhood name of Superman. Really? (laughs) The rest of your life, people look at you and they think about who you are because of your name. To be fair, that happens in the Bible, too. We're going to look at the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah names the first of his sons, Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Doesn't sound so bad. Maher Shalal Hashbaz. But really, it means run for the treasure. Run for the treasure. Show me the money. Well, the, the, worst, the worst is the prophet Hosea. Hosea ends up as a sign of... Uh, God's frustration with Israel marrying a prostitute. And the first child that they have uh, together is called Lo Ruhama. Lo Ruhama. Lo means no or not in Hebrew. Lo Ruhama. It literally means I am not loved. And then they had a second child, and it is Lo Ami, not my people. These are not my people. I am not loved. These are not my people. And they are a walking demonstration of that because of their name all their life. Can somebody else please name these kids? Names are important. So now maybe you're ready to hear about the names. Jesus has got three names in in our story, and it starts in verse 18. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. Now, uh, growing up uh, 
around the church, not in the church, but growing up around the church, I always thought that his first name was Jesus and his last name was Christ. Makes sense, right? Jesus Christ. It was said with some different emphases out in the garage when somebody hurt their thumb, but first name, last name, but Christ is not Jesus's last name. Christ is Jesus's title. It's really Jesus the Christ. Christos is the Greek word. And Christos means uh, anointed one. Jesus the anointed one. Or Jesus the Savior, Christos. Or Jesus the Messiah. This is his title. Jesus the anointed, the Savior, the Lord, the ruler. It's his title. First name. The second name is also in this passage. The angel turns to Joseph and says, You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now that sounds, Jesus or uh, Hispanics would say Jesus, doesn't sound as normal, but uh, doesn't sound as familiar, but the Jews would have heard it as Joshua. You're to call him Joshua, Yeshua. And Joshua is a famous biblical name, right? He is involved in the most famous salvation of all the Jews everywhere. Moses leads the slaves out of Egypt into the desert. And for 40 years, they avoid starvation and see miracles. And the promised land is there. And just as they get to the promised land, Moses dies. And who leads them out of the wilderness into the promised land? It's Joshua. You are to save my people. Now, the, the, the difference here is that Joshua is the one who brings Israel into the promised land after Moses dies. Jesus is now supposed to do what the Exodus and what the law of Moses pointed toward but could not produce. This is supposed to be not only a promised land, it's supposed to be a promised people. Jesus is supposed to rescue people not just from slavery to Rome, but slavery to sin. Because the Jews who have been slaves in Egypt and exiles in Babylon and now are living as vassals in Jerusalem, their own hometown, they are still slaves on the inside in their own hearts. Call him the Christ because he's the anointed one. Call him Jesus because he saves people. The last name in Jesus' title, the last name is only found three times in the whole Bible. The third time, the last time it's used, is right here in Matthew 1, verse 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said. In other words, this is prophecy. This is something that God promised a long time ago, and Matthew points out using that name. The second time it's used is in the book of Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 8. And the prophet says, Emmanuel, God is with us. His outspread wings protect the land. So Emmanuel is a protector of some kind. But the angel says, call him Emmanuel because of Isaiah chapter 7. 
Isaiah chapter 7 is a conversation between the good prophet Isaiah and the bad King Ahaz of Judah. Israel has already started to fragment into parts. Israel to the north and faithful Judah to the south. Judah is a bad king in all that's left of Israel. He's not only a bad king, he's a bad man. He will sacrifice anything. He'll sacrifice his own kids to the gods. He's not the kind of guy that you would vote for if he believed in you voting for anybody. He's a bad king. The Assyrian Empire is coming and threatening to take over the whole region. And Syria and Israel want to form an alliance with Judah to say, all three of us little countries, we can fight against them. They won't come if we band together. There's still war on the plains of Syria, isn't there? Thousands of years later. And it engulfs the whole region. But back then, Ahaz the bad is also Ahaz the dumb. And King Ahaz dithers, so Syria and Israel, they form an alliance and they actually attack Judah. They're going to attack Judah so that there can be one kingdom that will fight against the Assyrians. Get a new king who will join them against the superpower. So King Ahaz is so scared by now that uh, the court, his court sends Isaiah, the hated prophet. Ahaz hates Isaiah because Isaiah never has a kind word to say because Isaiah always is saying, God this, God that, God the other thing, and Ahaz got no time for that. But they send Isaiah in to calm the king down, and he brings a very simple, unexpected message. He turns to the king and unexpectedly says, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. He says, Ahaz, if you trust in God, it will be all right. Isaiah says, God will give you a sign that everything will be okay. Therefore, he says, God himself will give you a sign The virgin will have a child and will give birth to a son. Call him Emmanuel, God with us. Call him Emmanuel, and before the kid is old enough to grow a beard, Judah will triumph. Trust him, not trust Isaiah, trust God. If King Ahaz would only trust God once, there'll be peace in the nation The land would overflow with milk and honey. To cut a long story short, Ahaz misses his chance. He keeps on scheming. He does not trust in God. Things do not go well for Judah. They are conquered. Things don't go well for King Ahaz. He basically ends up captured as a vassal of the Assyrian emperor. And to show that he is loyal... He sacrifices his own son by throwing him into the fire of the Assyrian gods. If Ahaz would only have learned to trust God, Emmanuel, God with us, would have painted a different picture. But it's hard to trust and wait when mostly you trust in yourself. We have grown up as a country incredibly successful, unbelievably wealthy, because we have worked hard. 
We have figured it out. We have fought to the top. We trust others, but we trust ourselves more. For Isaiah to come in and say, just stop and don't do anything. Trust and God will act. Was countercultural back then and now. For Isaiah back then, this Emmanuel, this child, would be the hope for all of Israel, for the whole nation, for anybody who trusts. For Matthew, telling the story of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, is the hope for the whole world, for all who trust God. It's in Christ alone, he says, that God shows up. Let me say that again. It is in Christ alone that God shows up, and that is where our only hope resides. At the very beginning of Matthew's story, an angel comes and says, don't be afraid, God will be with you. Emmanuel will be with you. You remember how the story of Matthew ends, Matthew chapter 28, Jesus sends his disciples out into the world. What does Jesus promise? Jesus said, I will be with you to the close of the age. I will be with you to the end of the world. I came to stay. Yeshua means that some of us need to be saved again. The Christ means the anointed one has come to rule. Emmanuel means God will always be with you. Not intervening from a distance, but right up close. Not what you expect. Why would God come in the form of a baby instead of some super terminator robot? Not what you expect, but here. Don't you want that at Christmas? This story is saying it's great news. Be very careful about what you wish for. Be very careful about what you ask for under the tree. Because if you say, I so much want that God to come close, oh my God, what if that God comes close? What happens if God actually shows up for you? Remember how the story starts way, way back? It says, in the evening, God walked with his people. Now God is promising to come and walk with his people. And that can be wonderful and it can be extremely uncomfortable. I really want God to walk with me. But did you see what I just was looking at on my computer? Let's talk about that later. I really want God to be as close as my breath. But did you hear what I just said about that coworker? I really want God to be with me. But did you see what I was thinking about my career? We want God to walk with us in the garden, except for those times where we want to take a little detour and take care of business. Dallas Willard once said, in the end, God will let everyone into heaven who can possibly stand to be with God. In the end, God will let everyone into heaven who can possibly stand to be with God 24-7. Not because God is a goody two-shoes, but because God is God. Oz Guinness is a philosopher. And Oz has said, you know, at Christmas, it's never been easier to convince people 
that Jesus comes for them and to believe in a Savior. It's never been easier. People want a Savior. People want good news. But it's never been harder to convince people that they are not only needing a Savior, but they are rebels. And they need a king. They need a Lord who says, not that way, come this way. It's never been easier to celebrate the baby Savior. It's never been harder to follow the king who says, I will never leave you, but I will also never leave you alone. What's in a name? What's in a name? Jesus means that God wants to lead you to a place of salvation, not safety, salvation. The Christ means that he is the anointed, appointed one. He's the one we've been waiting for, whether we're ready or not. And Emmanuel, Emmanuel says that God will never leave us, and that's great hope, but that God will never leave us alone either. What name do you most need to hear? When you look at the manger this year, what name do you need to most hear? Christmas is God with us all the time. God with us all the time. Or find another name. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you come in disturbing ways. I thank you that you do not take no for an answer, that you do not wait until it's convenient. But I thank you that you are the God who brings hope out of sorrow and life out of death and love out of pain and justice out of chaos. And so with all the risks that are involved, we are not asking a baby to come this Christmas. We are asking Yeshua to be our Savior and Christ to be our King and Emmanuel to be our God with us. Amen.